Hello and welcome to the Daily Booktopian for Wednesday, May 27. I'm Mark Harding, Content and Brand Manager for Booktopia, and this is a podcast about reading in the time of isolation and social distancing. Joining me today are Category Manager for Young Adult and Kids Books, Sarah McDooling. Hi, Sarah. Hey. And we're also joined by Category Manager for Lifestyle Books, Shanu Prasad. Hello, Shanu. Hi. All right, let's get stuck right into it. Uh, Sarah, what have you brought for us today? So I, quite late last night, finished reading A Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes by Suzanne you finished Collins. It. I finished it, yeah. The whole thing, wow. Uh, so that is, this is the prequel to the Hunger Games trilogy, which, I mean, I have, I have got a lot to say about this book, but I'll just begin with my preconceived notions going in, okay? So... Going into this, I, I was not sure if I would be interested because um, when they when they released the information, like the blurb about what the book was going to be about, it sort of said that it was centered on uh, a young Coriolanus Snow, President Snow from the trilogy, and I immediately felt less interested to read it because I just kind of, you know, you don't really necessarily... I don't know about you guys, but I don't always necessarily want to know the origin story of villains. I don't care about the origin story generally. Like, I like a good origin story. And if it's an anti-villain or if the fate of the villain is still up in the air, yes. it's interesting to me. But we know exactly what kind of monster this guy turns into and we know his ultimate fate in um in the trilogy like we know how he meets his end and stuff sorry if that's mildly spoilery for the hunger games which has been out for over a decade has it been since that that the, the books came out over, it's been over... long enough yeah i, I think, think i think that's definitely expired yeah. Yeah. yeah okay good so so i'm i'll try and keep it spoiler free for songbirds but um hunger games is and I might reveal something that happens in the Hunger Games. So if you don't want to know that, podcast listeners, uh, next just be part. aware. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we know how President Snow, you know, we know what happens to him. He, there's no possible, there's no possibility for redemption for him. We see, I think, if I recall correctly, doesn't he get trampled to death? Well, honestly, I've, I. I watched the movies closer, like more recently than I read the books, and so I can't really remember. I'm um, about to reread because this reading Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes has inspired me to reread The Hunger Games. But if I'm recalling it right, anyway, right it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't bad, and he's he's bad all the way through. Yeah, he's bad all the way through. Yeah. So you go into this and you're like, okay, so the author's going to obviously try and get you to, you know, feel sympathetic towards this character. But it's a tall order um, when given everything that we know. It's kind of like we've discussed how it's not often that you see a story like this. I think we've got Darth Vader as an example and, like, a handful of others where an attempt has been made to go and tell the story of someone who we know just doesn't end well and who who causes a lot of pain. So that was my thoughts going into this. I was like predisposed to be wary of this story, like just thinking that I, I might not enjoy it. However, I forgot how addictive and interesting 
this world is. Like, I really forgot why the Hunger Games were so popular. I don't know how I managed to forget that, but this world with the capital and the districts and the crazy excess and the huge gap between the rich and the poor and the, like, horrible trauma that everyone has is suffering, it's just a fascinating world to be in. And I have to say, like, I kind of... Um, I really enjoyed this book. Like I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It was did they I make kinda, did sorry? they make him sympathetic though? Or did they show that he was like or did or could you tell from the beginning of the book the trajectory he was already going down? So she's clever about it because he is the guy that we know. He's younger and he's a little bit more innocent and not as like not as jaded himself. Yeah. But all of the ingredients for this villain are there. Like, he's an arrogant guy. He's very selfish. He's, like, really caught up in preserving the dignity of his family who were really, really rich um, pre the war that ended with them setting up the Hunger Games, which at the time that this book is set was 10 years ago. Yeah, right. So he, as a character, Corian Alanis, um, had a, memories of a really rich, privileged childhood then this devastating war, um, which robbed him of both of his parents and, um, you know, very traumatic experience. And then that was, so he was about eight when that ended. And then for the for 10 years since then, he's been um, living in the capital with like a dwindling fortune, but trying to keep up appearances. Yeah. So you remember how in the capital appearances is everything. everything. So. Yeah. Um, he goes to all these crazy lengths to hide how poor his family is. And you kind of get invested in that because <laughs> you want him to succeed, even though he's a creep and even though he shows no sympathy for the troops and he seems he's very cold Yeah, and he, he is everything that we know presidents know to be, you still kind of want him to get away with tricking everyone and you sort of want him to succeed and then just at the point where you might be starting to feel that he's too much of a you know creep to root for they introduce um the whole premise of this is that the the, the hunger games aren't very popular people aren't watching and they're not achieving the goal which is um you know to punish the districts and remind everyone of the horror of the war and you know control uh, control all of the districts. So they're trying to revitalize the games, which have been going for ten years, by by introducing this concept of mentors. Um, but there's only been ten years of games, and so the idea of having former winners as mentors is not really viable. So instead, well, they no, have young kids from the capital. Yeah, so they yeah. just pick like the brightest young minds, and they let yeah. them mentor these kids from the district. And so right about when you're losing patience with Coriolanus for being so cold and kind of shitty, you start rooting for him for the sake of his tribute, whose name is Lucy Gray Baird, and she is, she's just amazing, and you, you want her to win, and her winning is tied up with his winning. So, then you, so you end up just rooting for them. And is there a love story? Is oh, very, you never know where you stand with this thing because there is, but you don't know. You're in his point of view, and gotcha. I don't know. Right. You don't really trust that his feelings are anything more than selfish. Like yeah. he talks a lot about 
he gets very jealous. He's a petty sort of um, emotionally. He's quite shallow. So because we're in yeah. his point of view, sure, he's he's a bit enamoured of her and he has a crush and he kind of likes to think that he owns her. But you're never quite sure whether she's playing him or whether she feels the same way. Yeah, which is kind of like really how it was in the books, in the in the first books anyway, right? With, With like Katniss, Katniss and Peter yeah. and you know, that, whole, that whole thing about like yes. how much was real and how much was because of your circumstances that you kind of bend towards whatever exactly yeah it's a really unreal experience it puts you in this bizarre life or death um performance kind of frame of mind um so i don't know there's a lot about this book this is where i'm going to tiptoe and and be spoiler free because yes i want to accidentally give anything away but what i like so much about it and what eventually had me like really gripped me is that so much of it is open to interpretation. She's not spoon feeding you like this is how you Yeah, like all yeah. the seeds are there. You see there's so many like ancestors of characters in the capital, yeah. like a lot of familiar names, so that you can kind of see like there's someone who must be Plutarch Heavensby's great great grandfather or something running around. Yeah. Um, like, so you see how the games become the way that we know them from the original trilogy. And there's a lot of stuff that happens that just leaves you to decide. Like, it just right. leaves you to decide what might have what might have happened in the time between the end of the story and the beginning of The Hunger Games, which is 64 years. So there is 64 years between these two books. Gee, and that makes it like a lot older. Then I realised. So he must be, so he's, because this is the 10th Hunger Games. and He's 18, right? And he's 18. Book? And then the Hunger Games opens on the 74th Hunger Games. Jeez. Right. So okay. he must be well into his, like, 80s, right? I'm sorry. We yeah. all know maths is not my forte. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just realised that I was also trying to do maths, um, <laughs> which is not something that I do anymore. Well, if it's 64 <laughs> years plus... Plus 18. Anyway, the point is he's really old in The Hunger Games and he's very young here. 82. 82. You know what? I swear to you, the movie the movie has – I think I'm going to have to go back and read the trilogy again as well because I'm going all to. I remember is the movie. And the movie, the movies were not, like, let's be honest, were not really that good, particularly the last ones. Um, so I would definitely much remember when I read the books and I was so excited that they were going to make them into a movie because I'd watched – I don't know, do you remember there was a, a movie – it was like years before I think that came out in 2008 or something. It was called um, Series 7 and it was super shocking because that was when reality TV had just started becoming big and there's the, the movie was about like a bunch of people that are quite poor. They get like told to go into this um, reality show and the reality show is they actually had to go and kill everyone. And then when Hunger Games came out, I was like, oh, my God, it's just like this movie but with teenagers. Um and it's, then, like, it's like there was a there was a Japanese movie before that, Battle Royale, yeah, which is essentially that's right, the same. Battle Royale. Yes, yeah. also with the teenagers. It actually had the teenagers in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, that kind of idea's been around, but then I don't think that the Hunger Games movies really did the books the justice that they should have just because they cast such high-profile actors sometimes. Like, I think Katniss was great and that, but just um, – that's the problem I've had, Sarah, with wanting like, – I, I, I actually, after you described this book, I'm now like, okay, now I do want to read this book. But I still have um, Donald Sutherland in my head as 
and I can't age him down to be. He's very <laughs> so young, young Coriolanus Snow, Corio to his closest friend. Oh, good, he does have an um, yeah, but he's very, he doesn't, not many people like use it. it. He doesn't have very many close friends. He's got gotcha. his cousin, um, Tigris or ti- Tigris. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but she shows up later in the Hunger Games. So that's a character. Yeah. Pretty. Sh- I'm pretty sure. Um, I need to reread the trilogy. The one thing that I've gone away with on finishing A Ballad of Song of Birds and Snakes, I am keen to reread because yeah. I feel like she has... She's gone to such pains to leave things just uncertain enough that you can fill in the gaps yourself. And I just want to kind of reread the original trilogy and look for some little hints and Easter eggs because I feel sure they're there. Oh, yeah, for I, sure. And you just know you're missing them because you, like, don't yeah. remember enough about the books. I reckon yet. if you're a, a mega fan of Hunger Games and you know, you know it really well or if you've read it very recently, you would have caught a lot more Easter eggs in this book than I did because yeah. my memory of the, the original trilogy has faded a lot. Yeah. Um, I recognise some names and stuff. And songs, there's a lot of song correlation. And the song lyrics in this are so good that it makes me look forward to the movie just so I can hear the songs. Hear the songs, yeah, right. Yeah. Like, this is really a stupid question and I feel like I should know this answer, but the title of the book, is it something I'm already supposed to know or is it explained in the book? No, it's very clear when you're reading the book. So Lucy, Lucy Grey Baird, she comes from District 12, but she's not actually... She's kind of outside the districts because she comes from a group of people who I guess they're called the Covey. I guess they're kind of like a travelling troupe of musicians. Right. And so pre um, this current district separated yeah, they, just, they just used to travel around. And yeah. when they locked all the borders, they happened to be in District 12. Gotcha. So she's um, sort of not really part of the community but is part of it. She's just a little bit of an outsider and yeah. she has this rich history of uh being a singer and, a, and writing songs, all of her character is very wrapped up in songs. Um, there's a lot of cool correlations between songs we know from the original trilogy and and this group of Covey people, which is just it's a really it's cool. It's it's very satisfying. Right, but she's um, putting effort into like really yeah. Yeah, and amazing. while there isn't actually a song in the book called The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, the whole book, once you finish reading it, is a ballad of songbirds. Songbirds and snakes. Like, yeah. 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 That makes it's a very appropriate title. <laughs> All right. So that's actually that's great. So that's good to know because there were so many fans was were there before this book came out who were like, That's it, what have you done? You're gonna this is gonna be terrible. And then she's actually she's actually managed to pull it off, it sounds like. Yeah, the the one thing I will say is that I'm a little bit sad because it's all from Coriolanus's point of view. Yeah. And there's many reasons why the story is best told that way. But I sort of kind of wanted some different viewpoints. Like if this had been a multi-point of view book, I think it, yeah. it might have really hit a little bit more for me. Um, because maybe that's just because I got a bit sick of being in his point of view. Because he's not the nicest person. <laughs> well, you just know if if we didn't know where he ends what up, happened? you could root yeah, for him more right. and you could hope yeah. that he would get better. Because there are like some moments, you know, like he, there's some there's some shreds of goodness in him. And if if his fate was uncertain, you could hope. Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah. But yeah. when you're reading yeah. it and you know that he's never going to reach any good potential, it kind of makes his point of view somewhat wearisome. Um, 
because you're reading his point of view more out of love for the other characters and you kind yeah. of want to get in their heads a little bit. I just yeah. Well, that makes me cool. wonder uh, whether she's then, she's actually being super clever because she may, I wonder if she, I wonder if um, Suzanne Collins is planning another book to, because there is such a lot, because she didn't, because she could have gone anywhere, right? She could have gone like 100 years in the future. She could have gone 300 years in the past in that world. She could have done anything. But she she really could. So I'm wondering whether she's planning another like stepping stone, like where she leapfrogs again a little bit forward. To get I mean, I'm kind of, I'm off two minds. I'd love her to leapfrog a bit and we could see one of the games between the 10th and the 74th. Like it would be, yeah. I always thought it would be cool to see the games that Hamish won. But again, you're telling a story where the, the stakes are low because we know. Yeah, but that's what I mean. Maybe there's some yeah. way we're going to pivot it to like, you know, 90 degrees or something so that it's within, but then like, and there might have been a reason that this story had to be told for, I don't know. It's going to, it's interesting, but it's definitely, but what you're saying is if you're a fan of Hunger Games, you really do need to read the book. I think if you are, I think if you are a f- a fan of Hunger Games or if you're on the fence interested about this but thought that you might not like it because of the premise, yeah, ignore that because yeah. Suzanne Collins has really done, she's told a, a quite beautiful story and it's different from the Hunger Games. It's it's a sadder, it's more, I don't know, not that the Hunger yeah. Games isn't sad. Anyway, it's, it's. I would say definitely read it. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to seeing what they do with the movie adaptation. Um, yeah, which because they've already they've already that that's already been sold, right? The movie rights are basically sold as soon as the book. It was has been, and I know that this is a money making thing where they split books into two movies, but this one is almost written in a way where that would make perfect sense because yeah, there's I think there's actually three books within this book. Like there's a part one, part two, and part three. And part three, interesting. And I think you could quite easily sort of there's a point at which. Uh, it would make sense to sort of have an intermission of a year and then another blockbuster movie. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure the uh, the movie studios will definitely be doing whatever they can to make the most money they possibly can for as long as they can. So yeah. I'm sure we'll find out. Well, I hope she. I kind of hope she does write more. Not maybe. Not maybe not about these specific characters, but I liked revisiting this world. So I kind of. I'd be interested to see if she decides to in, sort of make that world a bit bigger and revisit it again. Well, thanks for that, Sarah. Shinu, what have you brought for us? <laughs> well, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Look, let's be honest, that is going to be like, that's the book that everyone is like, you know, it's it's in the top of the charts. It's in the top of our charts. It's just everyone, everyone wants to know It is selling like crazy. And you know, yeah. brevity is just not my strong point. So <laughs> I, I can't really be succinct. I have a such a tenuous I'm gonna I'm gonna come up with the most tenuous link between your book and my and the book that I'm about to talk about in that well it's not that tenuous I guess because in, in the book I'm talking about the main character is actually a musician so there we go Look, yeah. that musician, is a real connection musician. that's Yay. a perfect segue yeah <laughs> so the book I read on the weekend is called stars like us it's by Frances Chapman, and um, she's actually the winner of the Ampersand Prize, which is a prize that um, Hardy Grant um, uh, does for uh, new writers for young, specifically for young adult and middle grade fiction, which is fantastic because we were just talking last week that it'd be amazing. We want the most Australian 
um, young adult we can get because there's so much American stuff and I feel like we just get a couple of Australian ones a month and not as many as, you know, I would like to. Like I can read more and I would like to read more. So it's really great. So she won in 2018 and the book's actually coming out on July the 8th. Um, and it's really cool because it's about this girl, um, her name is Liliana, and um, she wins this um, scholarship to this prestigious music school in the UK. It's just like a two-month scholarship, but she's there, and it turns out that it's not as cool as she thinks it's going to be because she was so excited about going somewhere where everyone else loves music and is, is as serious about music as she is, but she finds it's a bit more like a kind of like a fancy school where music is used as kind of like a you know, you're, oh, you're cool, you're not, as opposed to that real, true, innate, just love of music. Right. So she's feeling a bit down in the dumps. She's also missing, um, she's like 16, I think. Yeah, she's 16. So she's missing her girlfriend back in Sydney, um, Ellie, who they don't really have a lot in common in terms of interest. Like Ellie's like a skater, um, whereas, you know, Liliana is like, as we know, obsessed musician. Um, she's a guitarist and a songwriter and a singer. Um, and so, you know, she's a bit like, oh, two months is going to be a really long time. Then she... Um, uh, basically tries out for this like band that's not meant to happen so it's like midnight in the boat shed you know as you do in England um who happens to have as the person that's kind of bringing the band together an extremely attractive um uh guy called uh Carter who is also a guitarist um and she kind of finds herself being attracted to him as well it's made very clear early on in the book that um that she is bisexual not you know like it's super clear it's not like a kind of like oh my goodness oh I didn't know I liked a guy as well as liking a girl it's just that she just feels terrible because she has a girlfriend um as anyone should be if they're with someone else and then they're like oh but maybe I like this other person um especially when they're like um you know apart for only a couple of months but they've made all these promises to each other but also they're 16 so, mm-hmm. so you know um anyway so she uh tries out for this band and she gets in and then um very, very quickly, uh, well, the first bit, I think, takes two months, basically, because um, they they try out for, like, a Battle of the Bands competition, um, like, maybe a month in, um, and they win, um, and then they get to play at, a, um, at the regatta. Um, there's, like, a, you know, of course, we're in England, so you've got to have it by the, by the Thames, the so there's got to be a regatta. And, um, and then at this gig which is technically their second gig because they played the battle of the bands first but that one they played like you know two two original songs and two covers um they get uh are scouted by an a and r um an a and r guy at this beatniks records which happens to be the record company that this um basically ariana grande style like style um uh singer because you know they describe her as being petite with an extremely long ponytail <laughs> <laughs> And except the only difference is that she was in this like girl band. Um, uh, I can't remember the name of the girl band, but that's not really important. She's in this girl band that um, this guitarist loves. And there's like, there's all this stuff about it, in it about like, you know, different bands that are cool or not cool and stuff. And she's like, yeah, but I just love the music. I love old school punk, but I also like pop, you know, so she's, you know, she's the one that's kind of, you know, broad, broad taste in music. Uh, anyway, so they go and the a, and then she's meant to fly back to Australia the very next day, right? So this whole thing is two months in. Um, the very next day and she she ends up um, missing her flight just so that she can go to this meeting where they end up getting signed um, because of basically on the basis of a song she wrote called King Cutie, which is basically about this guy Carter who is a complete player at 16. He's more like, he, he remind, I think of him as like a Leo, like Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio style playboy kind of 
thing, except 16 ah. year old and biracial. <laughs> but <laughs> apart from apart from that, it's that kind of you get that kind of feel about him. And he basically says, "I want to be famous." And his dad is a famous um, jazz musician, and his mum is like a high-profile cardiothoracic surgeon or something. So he's like poor little rich boy that gets ignored, you know. So he's got that kind of drive to be famous so that people will love him. So basically the rest of the book kind of follows the whole next year of the life um, together of the band and um, and also her kind of attraction and um, to Carter, but they kind of don't do anything and then will they get together, will they not get together? Ellie kind of just, that doesn't work out, sorry, I will spoil that. It's not really going <laughs> to, you can pretty much tell that that's not going to, it's not, it's not going to work out. Um, and then there's this, and then she, um, and then it's, uh, she gets this like friendship with um, the, um, oh, her name's Addie, but the um, the Ariana Grande kind of singer. And it's all about like real, a real behind the scenes kind of look at what happens when you get famous really quickly. I mean, they don't play another gig, like after playing this gig to get signed, they don't play another gig for like six months after, oh, wow. um, you know. And so it's got the, the drummer um, who's also like really into music, but, um, and he's like gets quite upset because you know he's in there for the mu- music and they go the A and R people are kind of like trying to push her as a front woman kind of like a bit no doubt you know Gwen Stefani kind of style and Carter gets really upset because he doesn't want to be a background band he wants to be the the, the kind of the star as well um, and um, and so there's all these tensions in the band and as well as the relationship drama and then it's kind of like well is this girl um, Addie she becomes friends with her and then it's very much it's very much for um, middle, I would say, like, four teens, like, older teens because of just the amount of, like, freedom that they have as 16-year-olds. Like, she's allowed to live in England um, with just, like, an A&R person and the rest of her band at 16. <laughs> like, her dad just lets her do that um, and just says, please don't drink alcohol. So she doesn't in the book. Um, That's some understanding parenting. Yeah, it's really strange. Um, that bit I found a little bit, I was like, oh, okay. But the rest of it is very much like it's very cool and it's like that part of it is very much, you know, you think, oh, wow, it would be so good to be in a band and be famous and then you see what they have to go through and what fame is kind of like for them and you go, yeah, maybe maybe not so much. And then the relationships that she has and the struggles with that are kind of, that's kind of the relatable bit even though it's in a very unrealistic situation. Is mm. that, that um, a lot of teens would be able to um, empathise with sort of, the feelings that she has um, throughout throughout the book and kind of the relationships that happen. So um, it's really good and I definitely recommend it. And I think it's it's going to be great to have, like I said, another, because, um, uh, you know, YA, Australian YA book. Um, and I'm pretty sure it'll be, um, it'll do really well. And I'm very interested to see what the next book Frances Chapman will write, um, whether it'll be another one set in the uh, the world of music or if she'll, um, or if she'll branch out to something else. So, Definitely would recommend that one if you like a book with like um, a really kind of sort of it's a love triangle but not really a triangle. It's more just like a love confusion. Um, I love that, a love confusion. Because it's not like a, it's not because it's really about herself and finding herself and what's important to her and how much of herself she's willing to give up for fame. And whether, you know, she just wants to play the music as well. She's not in it for the fame, but, like, to get to play the music, she has to kind of, you know, do what they're telling her to do and, like, be maybe a different person. So um, so that's really good. And there's, um, uh, you know, there's, like, 
uh, it's so the whole thing takes place in the UK. There's never she never goes she, she's never in Australia, but um, her uh, but she's definitely Australian, and there's lots of you know references to to that. And when she's trying to do sort of some British um, <laughs> turns of phrase, it's quite funny. <laughs> Uh, this sounds so fun. It kind of sounds a little bit similar to another uh, Hardy Grant book that is, came out recently, uh, When It Drops by Alex Dyson. Just it, obviously very different, but sort of oh, yes. dealing with that sudden fame, sudden music fame. Yes. And, yes. I reckon uh, the, two, the two main characters would have a lot to chat about. <laughs> Well, we've been um, we've been on the line for for half an hour almost, so time's really starting to get away from us here. Um, <laughs> I think we should probably um, save whatever for, for the next time. <laughs> um, but uh, we're going to shout out to an Australian author. Who are we shouting out to today, Sarah? Today, Shanu and I, because I'm as I'm the kids book category manager, Shanu is that fiction lifestyle category manager we decided to find our favorite Australian author that crosses over into both those categories and there aren't many but we wanted to shout out today to the wonderful Megan Hess yes we did who we adore and who has just had a new uh, who is who has many books but um, has the Clarice the Sheikest Mouse in Paris series and just had um this month at uh, the release of the Where is Clarice in Paris activity book, which is selling very well for us and is very cute. So adorable. Most comfortable <laughs> mouse ever. Fantastic. Well, thank you both so much for joining us today and thank you to everyone who tuned in to listen. Uh, you can listen to all of our episodes for free on SoundCloud and iTunes and we'll be back at the same time tomorrow with another episode of The Daily Booktopian. Until then, keep reading and please stay safe. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia. Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au